My name is Kevin Campbell. I'm the student ministries pastor at Wise Out of Free. I am not Kevin Meyer. Kevin Meyer is in Florida right now and trying to enjoy some time away. And uh, I told Kevin I was going to say this, so I don't feel bad, too bad doing it. But it's, it's funny because Kevin asked me if I would preach, and I said, sure, I'll preach. And then he said, well, this is what I want you to preach on, which is great. This is great, except what we're going to do today is we're going to continue our passage, um, the series that we've been doing. So we'll be in Matthew. And um, the funny thing is, last week he preached, he had four verses, and he was talking about the fig tree. This time I'm preaching, I have nine verses and two different subject matters to talk about. So I was giving him a little hard time about that. However, I do want to say this. If you were not here last week, and this is a passage that I've read many times about the fig tree, and I thought, what is Jesus' deal? Is he just super hungry? Why is he cursing this tree? And Kevin did a really good job explaining what's happened, what was happening there and, and gave context to that. And if you, if you want to listen to that or any of the series that we have, you can go on the website and find them there, including this one when we're done. We'll also be there. So... We are going to continue our series in Matthew 21. If you want to open your Bibles, if you brought Bibles, if you there's few Bibles in front of you, if you want to look at those, we're actually going to be in a lot of Scripture today. This passage in Matthew 23 starts out, uh, like I said, there are two different sections. The first section has to do with the leading the leading priests and, and elders at the church saying, hey, Jesus, where do you get this authority from? The second passage is Jesus saying, hey, let me tell you a story and ask you a question. So Matthew 21, as soon as I flip there, I just want to read that to you. And if you'd read along, we'll just read through it and then we'll, we'll start to break it down. Verse, starting in verse 23, Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John the Baptist was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go out and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to his other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Let's pray. 
Father, you are a good and awesome God who we get to celebrate this morning, and, and we thank you for that. I pray for just a moment we would rest in that. And God, my prayer as we continue is that you would use me as a vessel and that you, your word would come alive. And that your spirit would speak and convict and point towards Jesus. And uh, God, I just pray I don't get in the way of that. Thank you for who you are and what you've done already. In Christ's name, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to swap the, the way that these two come. We're going to start with the second passage and then go to the first passage because the first passage is where I want to land. I think there's some real power in what, what's happening there. So if we look at the second question of the story of the two, two brothers answering their father, how many of you are dads in this room? Let's just, how many of you are parents in this room? Let's do that. So the question is, which of the kids did what the dad wanted? I look at it and I say, neither one. Neither one. It's, Teresa is my wife and she was singing up here. And, and we have three beautiful daughters. They're right there. I love my daughters very much. And one of them, Samantha, who I didn't ask for permission, and it was easy in the first hour because she wasn't in here, so she didn't know I was going to say this. But now she's here, and I'm still going to say it. Samantha is an awesome kid. All my kids are awesome. Samantha was an awesome kid as well. Um, after the age of two. Prior to that time, Samantha was... Samantha was just a strong-willed being. I'll just call her that. She was beautiful. She was still our kid. We loved her and, and everything. But, but she had a very, very, very strong will. In fact, one time... When we were moving, this was like, I guess she's almost 10 years old. So she was, we were over there like eight years ago, moving into our home. And, and for a while we were at the church house. And Bruce, who's now the middle school pastor, was at the time an intern. And he lived in the yellow house next to the church. And my family was coming over to church to do something really fun. And I asked my daughter, Samantha, to do something because, because she had disobeyed. And I said, Samantha, I need you to listen to me. And remember, she's like two years old, and she won it. And you need to listen to me, two or three years old. And I said, she just didn't want to do it. I said, all you got to do is count to ten. Count to ten. And she wouldn't do it. She was stubborn. She knew how to do it. For an hour and a half, we stood over there. And I, I was eating lunch. I was doing, And Samantha finally goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it was done. But Samantha had the strong will. So we, as, as parents, decided how are we going to, to handle this? What, is, what are these rules that we're going to have with our kids? And, and Teresa came from a background where her parents would tell her to do something and it was expected you did it. You don't ask why, you don't want, you, but you do it. And that's the way she grew up. I grew up in a household where you were allowed to ask why and and almost disrespectful in a way. But we would figure out, okay, what is a conversation? Help me understand why I need to do this. So as parents, we, we had to figure out what is the way that we're going to raise our kids together. And we came up with a, this rule. We said, you can ask why. You can say things like, I don't want to. You can say things um, like that. But you cannot say no. You, you have to do what you say, we say because you're our parents. So when I look at that passage, I go, which, which kid did what, what the father told him? I look at it and go, no one did. It's, that's not, neither one of them did. 
But you see, that's not the root of the question. That's not the purpose of the story in there. The purpose of that story is to get the leaders, the, the priests in that time, the leaders to, to go. Jesus is giving them an illustration of who they are. He's, he's saying, look, for, for a long time, you have stood and claimed to be holy. You stood and, and, and look right on the outside. But when you see this truth, you're not, you're not willing to follow that truth. You're not willing to, to do what your Father has asked you to do. And He says, look at all these people on the outside who they look awful. Their lives are, are messed up. They're prostitutes. Their life are, is messed up. It's evident. But they're going to enter the kingdom of God because they've responded. Because God is a redeeming God. Because God can, can make good. And, and all He's asked for that is respond to that. What's happening in this passage is, is we see that the, the Pharisees are the, the leaders there in just a couple of days are about to turn Jesus over to his death. And this is another illustration in the Bible of, of the hypocrisy of Jesus saying, no, it's not about what you look like. It's about what you're doing. It's not about saying you're going to do something. It's about doing something. As we transition over to the first verse, I, or the first passage, I, I'm reminded of flags in my life. I'll just call them flags, checkpoints, or stakes in the ground. That one of the things that's really cool, uh, whether you're a pastor on a platform or a new follower of Jesus, is that your, your, our spirituality, our following of God, is not something that we arrive at. It's something that we're all on this journey together into becoming more fully like, like our God. And for me, I, I, my journey is filled with moments of, of being wowed and, and new ideas coming in and, and really grasping what God has for me. And I can think of people in my, my uh, teens that help me see God and, and know God that way. I can think of people in my 30s that, that have helped me to see who God is and, and take some of the blinders off and see who Christ really is. So let's go to this question then of what's happening as we, as we see that the, the parable of the, two, of the two boys is about Jesus has given the, the, the leaders, the priests, an illustration of, of what's to come, of where you're at, where they're stuck at. Let's go now and look at the, the question of, of Jesus, of where does this authority come from? Who gives you this authority? What's going on here? How do you, how do you uh, come in and do these things? That passage again, I just want to read to you quickly. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? 
Jesus will reply, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say it's from heaven, he will ask, then why don't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, then we're afraid the people, for, for they hold that John was a prophet. So we answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you. Well, I don't know who, whose authority I'm doing these things. Here's the thing with Jesus sometimes that I just wish he would do. I wish he would just come out and say, this is, this is it. On whose authority? This is whose authority. But he didn't do it in this passage. And I think there's a reason he doesn't do it in this passage. But let's just pretend, let's not pretend, let's look at what Jesus could have said. Instead of saying, if you answer this question, then I'll answer What could have Jesus said? And to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to flip to a book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is, I had a uh, class in, in Bible college from a man who went and he for his uh, doctorate project, went and, and more than that, he really absorbed the Jewish culture. And he was a Christian and an evangelical who grew up in the, in, in the States, but he, he went and he, he became a Jew at that time, fully in love with Christ. But to understand the, the culture of the Jewish people, to understand the tradition of the, cult, of the Jewish people, he went and did that. And then he came back and was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, Old Testament professor. And he, he taught Old Testament, Old Testament and one book in the New Testament. And that book was Hebrews. And he said, you know, this book really belongs in the Old Testament. The only thing that's keeping it from happening is, is Jesus' the pivot point. So that's why he's there. But really, it's written to a Jewish culture, a Jewish understanding of, okay, let's look at this Messiah, this Jesus, and who is he? So it's answer, answering all these questions about who is Jesus? Where does his authority come from? So let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is what it says. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through Him, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. I remember taking this class with, with his, his name was Dr. Men, Mengano. And he stopped us and he said, let's, let's pause there. And we're going to do the same thing. Let's imagine the sun, S-U-N. And the sun has these rays, the radiance of the sun, right? And the sun and its rays are really the same thing. It's just these rays are reflecting what's happening. And this passage is saying... Um, the same thing. Christ, Christ is not, Christ is the radiance of God, the exact representation of God. That is who Christ is. On whose authority? On, on His authority, He could have answered. On His authority, He could have answered. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. 
After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as his name as he inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, who, on what authority? On the authority that I am the radiance of God. I am more superior than the angels. I am the radiance of God. If we continue to go in Hebrews, it's, like I said, it continues to talk about the authority of Jesus. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. There it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason he has been made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to our God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What he could have said is, I'm the radiance of God. What he could have said is, I'm God in flesh. What he could have said. Let's look at, Mo, or let's look at chapter 3. In the Jewish tradition, we had a guy on staff here for a long time. His name was Les. And Les had some Jewish background. And, and he had a spot in his life where he wanted to explore his Judaism. And so he, he had been a Christian, still a Christian, and but he decided he wanted to know that rich history of, of the Jewish faith that he had. And he started exploring uh, Judaism. And he, him and I were talking, and he said, you know, the central figure in Judaism, the man, as I explained it in, in first service, he was the man, was Moses. Moses was the man. So in Hebrews, we find out, okay, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's, he's God in flesh. He's the radiance of God. And, and not only that, but if I'm a Jew and I hear this statement, Jesus is greater than Moses. Let's go uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what, was, what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son of God, the Son over God's house. And we are His house. If indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. So God is the, or Jesus is the radiance of God. Where do you get your authority? What he could have said is, I'm the radiance of God. What he could have said is, I'm God in flesh. What he could have said is, I'm greater than Moses. What he could have said to these priests 
is I am the great high priest. Go with me to chapter 4 of Hebrews. I just listened for the paper to stop going and then I, oh, it must be there. It says this, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What could have Jesus said when the priest asked, where do you get this authority? He could have said, I am the great high priest. But for some reason he didn't. And I think the reason he didn't respond that way is because the question wasn't, where do you get your authority? How are you able to do these things? The question was, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Remember what has happened here. This isn't just a little section in itself. Jesus is returning and now up front this temple court and the temple courts where he was just the other day kicking people out. These, these leading priests are ticked off with Jesus. And this isn't a question of, wow, where do you get this authority to teach? Who gave you? This is a question of, who do you think you are? Coming in here and doing that, who do you think you are? This is where I really get excited about this passage. Because I can think of times where I've confused who I am. There are so many things out there telling us who we are. So many things. So you're overweight. You're, you're no good. You're... Your kids don't listen to you. You're a lousy dad. Your wife's mad at you. You're a lousy husband. Man, you've struggled with that. Man, you're just a sinner. And what happens is we start to believe these things. Because Satan's tactic still is, who do you think you are? By what authority do you think you have that? Who do you think you are? And when we confuse who we are, we start to, we start to struggle with, with thoughts. Thoughts that can lead to depression. Thoughts that can lead to low self-esteem. Thoughts that can, in our marriages, put us in battle with our spouse to find significance. When we confuse who we are, or use the wrong things to identify who we are, it's not good. Things really fall apart. The good news is Jesus could have said all these things. And in scriptures, where when he's asked with authority, Jesus could have said this, this, and this. And we see that in scripture of, of all those truth of who Jesus is. The Bible has a lot to say about who you are as a follower in Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about who you are as a follower of Christ. I'm going to ask Joel to come up, and for these next moments, I want you to do something that, that, that is kind of awkward, but if you do it, I've I got to tell you, it can be really good. 
I, I've started this this process. If you've heard me preach over the last couple of years, you you can see that there's this there's this newness to what the Spirit is doing. And I've been up here talking about a book called Forgotten God, and and I was talking with Dave and uh, Dave I've, Dave Henderson was someone in our congregation that I've had come up, and and just the who the Spirit is was a phase that I was going through. My eyes had been open, and now I'm living more and more in that. And then this year, as we began to have, uh, as we began to have Peter Kapsner and Becky Patton come in and talk about holy sexuality. At the same time, I was meeting this guy named Lowell Seashore, and he wrote a book called Dangerous Men, and it, and it talks about uh, lust-free living. And I could talk to you about all these things that God has to say about sex, but what really came out of that, for me, is where they both start. See, both of them said the key to understanding and working through all this stuff is understanding who we are. And if you are a follower in Christ of Christ, you, you are told through Scripture who you are. So I would like to read to you who you are according to Scripture. If you would close your eyes and, and listen and think through what are these lies that I'm believing about myself. How does what I hear from Scripture line up with what I believe? This list is a list that is compiled by a ministry called Freedom in Christ. And after first service, people came up to me and said, Hey, where can I find that list? Now, I'm just going to tell you multiple times so you remember, but they can be found at freedominchristministries.org, which is actually F, freedom, F, I, in, Christ, C, Ministries, F-I-C-M dot org, freedominchristministry.org. So close your eyes, listen, and if you, are, if you are part of the kingdom of God, God has established this new friendship with you, this relationship with you, and this is, this is who you are. Not who you are because of an outside thing, but who you are because God says so. Because the Creator says this who you are. You are accepted. You are God's child, according to John 1.12. You are Christ's friend, according to John 15.15. You've been justified according to Romans 5.1. You are not united with the Lord and you are one with his, Him in spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17. You've been bought with a price and you belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20. You are a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12.27 I like this one. You are a saint. According to Ephesians 1.1 You have been adopted 
as God's child. Ephesians 1.5 You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. Colossians 1.14 Press in this one. You are complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10 You are accepted and you are secure. You are free forever from condemnation. Romans 8, 1 and 2. You are assured that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. You are free from any condemning charges against you. Romans 8, 31 through 34. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done, you cannot be separated from the love of God. Romans 8, 35-39 You've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 you are hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 3. You can be confident that the good work God has begun in you will be perfected. Philippians 1.6 You are a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20 You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 You can find grace and mercy in a time of need. Hebrews 4.15-16 This one's powerful. You have been born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. 1 John 5.18 You are accepted, you are secure, and you are significant. Scriptures say you are the salt and the light of the earth. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are a branch of the true vine, a channel of his love. John 15, 1, 5. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. John 15, 16. You are a personal witness of Christ. Acts 1 8. 
You are God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 You are a minister of reconciliation for God. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 You are God's co-worker. 2 Corinthians 6.1 You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 2.6 These next three are great. I remember hearing this list for the first time and my eyes just swelling up. Because there's power in recognizing who we are in God. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's workmanship. You may approach God with freedom and confidence. Ephesians 3.12 And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Philippians 4.13 As Joel continues to pray, I, I would like us to think through what those scriptures say and And even now, ask God to help you accept the identity that you have in Him. That I have in Him in in those areas where we go, no, I'm this. Satan's voice comes in and he says, you're not good enough. And he loves to do it after, after we've messed up already, after Satan has already led us to our sin. He loves to then go, see, I told you. Man, you are an awful person. You can't really love God. God can't really love you. See, who do you think you are? We have a God that's great. A God that's all-powerful. A God can do all things. That has said these things about us. And what we need to do as as people, as His people, is believe them. Lowell writes in his book, Dangerous Men, he says, uh, For me, the bottom line always seems to be the evil ones tempting me with the thought that Jesus is not enough. He's not enough to meet my needs. He's not enough to take care of me the way I should be. He's not enough to deal with my fears. He's just not big enough. It's an absolute lie from the devil. Jesus is always enough for me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would continue this work that's stirring in me. And that may be stirring in us as a community of believers. Father, I pray. God, I pray for us all in this building. Help us to accept who you created us to be. Let us rest on your authority. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen.